I wanted to show you one picture of preaching, and um, this was preaching a few years ago in the nation of Indonesia. Indonesia is the most populous Muslim nation in the world, and I did four services that particular day, and that is the interpreter. That's not my wife. That's the interpreter who's interpreting in Indonesian, and uh, we saw, I think, about 150 people accept the Lord that day. It was a really good day, and uh, but one thing happened during that service that I wanted to tell you about because it totally connects into what I'm going to preach about today. I don't speak a word of Indonesian. So um, I was totally dependent on this translator, this interpreter, to listen to what I was saying and then immediately interpret it into their language. And um, I, I, I only speak one language, so uh, to me that was just amazing that somebody could do that so quickly and um, that type of thing. But do you ever hear the phrase that something got lost in the translation? Well, I was preaching. Now, I know this is the day that we preached. There was actually a particular Muslim day of sacrifice. And we drove by several like parking lots where they were actually the Muslims were actually out uh, sacrificing animals. Blood was flowing. And, uh, you know, they were doing that. And we drove by that on the way to church. So it just made me thankful. You know, God, we don't have to do that anymore because we have one sacrifice named Jesus who paid the price for us, and we don't have to do that anymore. But, uh, but I knew with this country, you know, with their dynamics and demographics and all, and occasionally you'll read about church burnings and different things, some persecution that goes on, and I knew that the believers there face challenges. And I, I just, my heart, I just really wanted to encourage these believers and, uh, and help them and strengthen them. And so I was just preaching a message, and, and the real simple gist of it is that um, we, we face problems in this world, but God is good. And, um, that, you know, just so simple. And, but in, in the course of this communication, I made this statement. I said, wouldn't it be wonderful if at the end of this service, I could pray a miracle prayer. And because of the faith and the anointing in that prayer, God would bless each and every one of you with a trouble-free life. You would never face another problem as long as you live. And remember I talked about sometimes something gets missed in the translation. Well, the translator, bless her heart, she, was, she did a great job but just on this one thing. She just she missed a, a, an important part of it. I said, what I said was, wouldn't it be wonderful if at the end of this service I could do this? You know, pray this. For... She missed the if part. <laughs> and instead of presenting it as this hypothetical, which I did, she just made it this bold declarative statement and and what she said in the indonesian language was at the end of this service brother cook is going to pray a miracle prayer over this congregation and because of the faith and the anointing in that prayer god is going to bless each and every one of you with a trouble-free life you will never face another problem again as long as you live. Now, 
of course, I had no idea what she said, but I did think it really strange that when she finished interpreting my statement, that people started standing up and cheering and shouting and rejoicing. And I'm, I'm thinking, wait a minute, I, I just said, wouldn't it be nice if I could do this? And people are celebrating, and, and I realized what happened, you know, just putting two and two together. And um, so I, I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. And I, I kind of calmed everybody down, and I said, I didn't mean to say I could do that. I, I said it would be nice if, and I looked at the if I could do that. And she said, oh, and then she reinterprets it, and then everybody sank into deep depression, you know. Everybody's really bummed out now. They just, you know, we we just pulled the rug right out from under them. But, you know, I had to, Pastor Mark, I had to be honest. And trust me, I'm not that good, all right? You know, if I could do that, I'd write a book on it. Everybody would buy it, you know, how to never, ever have another problem again. Do you remember Brother Hagin? Um, he, he had, you may remember this story from him. He was praying in a prayer line one time. And uh, he was asking people, you know, how can I pray for you? And uh, this one person said to Brother Hagin, when he said, how can I pray for you? This one person said, well, Brother Hagin, pray for me that I'll never have another problem from the devil. And Brother Hagin said, he's ornery sometimes. He said, oh, he said, so you want me to pray that you'll die? <laughs> and the person kind of. No, I, I don't want you to pray that I'll die. And Brother Hagin said, well, that's the only way you're never going to have a problem with the devil. Just go to heaven, you know. And um, so so what I did, and we, we can go ahead and turn that picture off. But what I what I shared with um, that congregation to kind of bring things back into some perspective and and reality. How many of you know that 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 would not be realistic for and and faith? You know, as Pastor Mark was exhorting about faith powerfully just a few minutes ago, faith is not the same as wishful thinking. Faith is not the same as hyper-idealism. Faith is based, as Pastor Mark said, on the reality of the Word. Faith has to be based on what the Bible says, not just what we wish you know, about life. And so, so I took these folks to two, two scriptures in particular to kind of bring this thing back so they would understand. I took them to Psalm 34 verse 19. And Psalm 34 verse 19 is the word of God. And it says many, everybody say many. It says many are the afflictions of the righteous. Well, we don't like that, do we? I, I kind of wish it didn't say that. I kind of wish that's not what the Bible said. I, I wish the Bible said, hey, if you're righteous, man, you're going you're gonna to go through life. You're never going to have a problem. How many of you know the Bible doesn't say that? The Bible says many are the afflictions of the righteous. You know, and there's many reasons for different types of afflictions. One primary reason, we just live in a fallen world. You know, we live in a, a world where Adam sold out and Satan got access. Satan's the god of this world, and he sends challenges and different things into people's lives. And, but, and the Bible says many are the afflictions of the righteous. Well, we may not like that part of the verse, but we sure do like the next part of the verse. But the Lord delivers him out of them all. 
So the Bible never promises that if we're the children of God, if we're forgiven, if we're righteous, the Bible never promises that we're never going to face challenges. What the Bible promises is God will never abandon us. God will never forsake us. God will deliver us uh, from anything that the enemy throws our way. That's realistic. That's real faith. That's a real promise from God. And um, then I took them to another passage because I don't just like to have Old Testament for things. I like to have, is there something in the New Testament, too, that supports and reinforces? Because we're New Testament people. We're under the New Covenant. And so I took them to John chapter 16 and verse 33, where Jesus said, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. How many of you know that peace really ultimately only comes from Jesus. You know, circumstances can change, situations can change, people can change, but peace comes from the unchanging one, the one who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus said, these things I've spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world, how many of us are still in the world you know, we are, we're still here. Have you figured out this is not heaven yet? All right. Heaven's better than this. This is, can be good, but we're not in heaven yet. Jesus said in the world, you will have tribulation. You know, so if if your prayer is, God, I just never want to face another problem again as long as I live. God's not going to answer that prayer we trust because that would mean you'd be going to heaven real quick. Uh, Jesus said, in the world, you will have tribulation. Jesus was realistic. He said, in the world, you will have tribulation, but aren't you glad that so many times the Bible will give us a statement of reality, and, but then we'll see the word, but God is going to put you over. But God is going to give you victory. But God is always going to be faithful to you. In the world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And so the Bible is very clear that as a Christian, we are not necessarily immune from certain types of challenges and adversity in life and so on and so forth. But God is going to give us victory. And so um, one of the things that we do, and we do this in modern language, uh, in modern communication, we use illustrations. So when we're talking about adversity, we might not use the term adversity, but you know what people sometimes say? They'll use the term storms. Have you ever heard somebody say, man, I'm going through a storm right now, Uh, going through a stormy season? And um, so we relate to and understand the concept of storms. And when we talk about dealing with adversity in life, because that's what I really want to talk to you about today, is how to really maintain a powerful connection with God so that you can make it through these what? David called afflictions, what Jesus called tribulation. How can we tap into and maintain a strong connection with God so we can make it through that stuff? Well, just a a natural lesson, a lesson from nature, is that there are different types of storms in life. How many of you know, just I'm talking about the weather. Not every storm is the same. You guys live in, in, in Georgia, and you're not terribly far. You've had remnants, uh, 
Pastor Mark was talking with me about this. You've had remnants of hurricanes, you know, by the time they get here. Didn't you say there are many times tropical storms? But, you know, you probably know people closer to the coast. And, man, when a hurricane is coming, um, they probably take some precautions. There's some things they do to board up their house or different things, take the evacuation routes. Uh, if they're if they're going to stay, they have fresh water and things of that nature, flashlights and all. I live in Oklahoma, and we live in what's called Tornado Alley. And so, you know, we're mindful of those, you know, hurricanes. You have days and weeks to prepare Tornadoes sometimes can pop up real fast. And um, I have a brother who lives in Minneapolis and, you know, up in the north, northern parts of the country, they get ice storms and blizzards and things like that. How many of you know you prepare for a blizzard differently than you prepare for a hurricane? My wife has never called up to me in my office and said, Tony, uh, hey, we've we got tornado warnings. Uh, you'd better come down. Uh, I've never said to her, oh, honey, no worries. I have a snow shovel in the garage. Because <laughs> snow shovels don't do anything. See, in the natural, we understand there's different types of storms. They come for different reasons, and there, you do different things to protect yourself from uh, different types of storms. There's, there's precautionary steps to make sure you make it through that storm. Can I just propose a real simple thought? Spiritually and biblically, it's very much the same. There are different kinds of spiritual storms in life. They come for different reasons. Not every storm is the same naturally or spiritually. And God will give us wisdom to know how to overcome and make it through different types of adversity in life, storms, so to speak. And what I want to do this morning very quickly is give you three storms that the Bible presents to us. And the first is what we're going to call the storm of Jonah. How many of you remember the story of Jonah in the Bible? Let me see your hand if you think, I know that story pretty well. You know, Jonah was a prophet of the Old Testament. He lived several hundred years before Jesus came. And Jonah was a unique prophet in that most of the prophets of Israel, you know, stayed within Israel. Uh, but Jonah was what we call a missionary prophet. God sent him to a different country. And he did not want to go to this other country. God, anybody remember where uh, Jonah got sent to? Jonah got sent to a city called Nineveh, which was the capital city of the Assyrian Empire. And they were bitter enemies of Israel. And, um, and, and the Israelites hated them. They weren't fond of the Israelites. And um, they had reputation for being very cruel, uh, violent type people. And God said to Jonah, Jonah, uh, the sin of Nineveh is very great. And I want you to go to that great city of Nineveh. And I want you to preach to them. And I want you to tell them to repent Otherwise, judgment is going to come on them. Now, I want to show you something. Does anybody have any idea where Nineveh was? It, it's, it, it's in modern-day Iraq. And it, if I know military folks are here, so you're going to know this name. It was the city of Mosul. 
Mosul in Iraq is right immediately adjacent to the ancient ruins of Nineveh. So here, if we can show the map of Jonah, and I know we've got this map on both sides, but I want to show you a map of what God told Jonah to do, where God told Jonah to go. Jonah is here in Israel. On that side, it's letter A. And God tells Jonah to go up to point B, which is Nineveh, on the far right side of your screen. That's in modern-day Iraq, the city of Mosul, which ISIS was just driven out of Mosul eight months ago or something of that nature. And God told Jonah, go to uh, Nineveh and tell them to repent. Jonah instead gets in a boat and starts going to a place called Tarshish, which is modern-day Spain. You say, wait a minute, Jonah was going as far away from Nineveh as he possibly could. That's exactly right. Now, I want you to go back in your mind, go back about eight months, go back a year ago, when ISIS was still in control of Mosul in modern-day Iraq. And the word of the Lord comes to Pastor Mark and says, Pastor Mark, arise, get a ticket to Baghdad and rent a car and drive up to Mosul and march up and down the streets of Mosul and tell ISIS to repent. Now, how many of you would like to give in the offering to send Pastor Mark to tell ISIS to repent? Who, who wants to start with the, the, the big offering, all right? And Pastor Mark might be praying, Lord, don't let anybody give. Don't let anybody give. I, I don't know about you, Pastor Mark, but if the Lord told me to go march up and down the streets of, of you know, an, an ISIS-occupied city yelling out for ISIS to repent, uh, there's this part of me called flesh, um, survival instinct uh, that would say, you know, Lord, I just don't think I want to do that. Well, Jonah didn't want to do it either. And Jonah, when God told him to go preach to Nineveh, Jonah literally gets on a ship to go to Tarshish, which is modern day Spain. What is he doing? He's running away from God. What do we call that in a single word? Disobedience. And Jonah, when he gets on that ship and starts sailing to Tarshish, uh, a storm, this is what we're talking about today, what, it, what does it take to make it through storms? A great storm came, and you, you know the story, go back and read the entire book of Jonah. Jonah gets thrown overboard into the sea, and the Bible says that a great fish swallowed him. Now, I don't know about you. I grew up in the middle of four cornfields in Indiana, so I didn't grow up around fish. But I can't imagine anything more gross than going down the throat of a fish and ending up in its gut. And just the, the smells that would be there, the textures that would be there. Jonah talks about the seaweed that is wrapped around his head. There's all kinds of partially digested other things in there bumping up against you. It's, you can't see anything. The smell of that. And um, I, I just think that would be unbelievably unpleasant. 
And uh, we, we read here in Jonah chapter 1 verse 17, if we look at this together, Jonah chapter 1 verse 17, uh, at the end of it, it says, And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now, why was Jonah there? Jonah was there because of one simple reason, disobedience. Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now, I don't know if you ever see humor in the Bible, but I see something that's about to happen that I think is very funny. It says, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now, look at chapter 2, verse 1. Then Jonah prayed. Do you catch that? He was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed. I'm thinking, seriously? It takes you three days and three nights? How stubborn was Jonah? The fact that he'd been there for three days and three nights, and then he finally decides to pray, I would like to think... That even though I really wouldn't want to go to Nineveh, I'd like to think that I'd start crying out to God the second I got in that fish's mouth and started going down the throat. I'd like to think I'd be crying out to God then and not waiting and sitting there stubbornly three days and three nights and then finally deciding to pray. Jonah was not only disobedient, but he was stubborn. But you know what? At least he finally prayed. And, and he prayed actually a really powerful prayer. And one of the things he prayed was, God, I, I will fulfill my vows to you. What does that mean? When Jonah said in chapter 2, I will fulfill my vows to you, I think at an earlier time in Jonah's life, he had pledged obedience to God. He had pledged consecration. God, I'll do what you want me to do. I'll go where you want me to go. I'll say what you want me to say. But And, and God, Jonah was willing to obey God until God told him to do something he didn't want to do. Now, here's the question about us. Are we willing to do whatever God asks us to do or are we willing to do whatever God asks us to do as long as it's something we want to do? Jonah, he was willing to do whatever God asked him to do until God told him to do something he didn't want to do. And then Jonah runs away from God. He gets in a storm through disobedience. But in the fish's belly, when he finally gets around to praying, you know what Jonah does in a single word? He repents. He says, God, I'll do what you want me to do. I'll go back to my original commitment to you. And you know what? As soon as Jonah repented, you know what happened? He got ejected. I won't go into details as to how that happened because that wasn't very pleasant either. But he got ejected from the fish. And as soon, you know what happened? As soon as he got out of the fish, guess what God said? Arise, Jonah, go to Nineveh. Aren't you glad that God is a God of second chances? God, you know, even if we mess up, God still gives us chances to get back on track. You know, God is way more interested in restoration and helping us fulfill his will. Many times, maybe more than we are, of course. Uh, but, but Jonah is one type of storm in the Bible. And help me out here. Jonah got into his storm because of what? Disobedience. And he got out of his storm through repentance and committing to obey. 
So that's, but that's just one type of storm in the Bible. Um, there are other types of storms in the Bible that it's very important for us to know because if we think that every storm is based on disobedience, then every time that we have a problem, we're going to be saying, oh God, what did I do wrong? And some people are like that because they really, they think that every storm is a Jonah storm. And some Christians, man, if they have a problem, they don't want anybody in church to know about it because they think, man, if people know I'm having a problem, people are going to wonder, well, what's the sin in my life? I'm out of the will of God. Some people think that, well, if you're in the will of God, you can never face a problem. But this next storm that we're going to look at proves just the opposite. Jonah did get into his storm because of disobedience, and he did get out of his storm through repentance, but it's only one type of storm. The second storm we're going to look at today is what we're going to call the storm of the disciples in Mark chapter 4. Jesus had been preaching all day long at the Sea of Galilee, and at the end of a long day of ministry, we read this in Mark chapter 4, verse 35. Mark, the fourth chapter, the 35th verse on the same day when evening had come, he said to them, said to his disciples, this is Jesus talking to the 12, let us cross over to the other side. And they left the multitude. They took him. They took Jesus uh, along uh, in the boat as it as he was, and other little boats were also with him. So in Mark chapter four verse thirty five, Jesus says, "Let's go over to the other side uh, of the lake, the Sea of Galilee." And the disciple they all leave the multitude and they put Jesus in the boat, and other little boats were with him. Sounds to me like they're doing exactly what Jesus said. Jesus said, I want to go to the other side. They step away from the multitudes, put Jesus in the boat, and they're on their way. Are they obeying God? Are they in a a state of obedience? Are they doing, are they acting on Jesus' word? Are they in the will of God? Now, we know that if you're in the will of God, nothing bad can happen, right? Look at the next verse. And a great wind storm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling, meaning filling up with water. But Jesus was in the back, the stern, the back of the boat, asleep on a pillow, and they awoke him and said, listen to what they said to Jesus, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? They, they made two mistakes there. Number one, they thought that because they were facing a problem that Jesus didn't care. Some people, the first time they have something go wrong in their life, God, you must not love me. God, you must not care about me. Don't ever interpret the love of God in the light of some bad circumstance. We, God is a good God, but we live in a fallen world. God is a good God, but life is not fair. And sometimes junk just happens because we live, we live in a fallen world. 
And they said, teacher, don't you care? And look at the second thing. That Number one, they jumped to this conclusion that Jesus doesn't care about them. Number two, they made this bold declaration, we are perishing. Isn't that something? They, they, they've already got their obituaries written. They've already declared we're dying. We're, you know... Do you know when fear gets a hold of you, it's easy for your mind to jump to the worst case scenario? Counselors will use the term catastrophic thinking. They, they envision the worst possible scenario or outcome and, and fear causes them to fixate on that, perhaps become very obsessive over that. And, and I'm not condemning them. I'm just saying that's just a human tendency. Um, and, and that's how they reacted to this storm. None of this is why the storm happened. This is just their reaction to it. Okay? And, and sometimes we can't control what happens in life, but we do have the authority to determine how we're going to respond to it. Now, even if we have an initial fearful reaction, we still have to be uh, responsible for, you know, are we going to fuel and reinforce the fear? Are we going to find a way with God's help and God's word to break the cycle of fear, anxiety, catastrophic thinking, you know, and, and that type of thing? So the disciples had a really bad reaction to this. But notice what Jesus does in verse 39. Then he arose... And prayed. I'm waiting for you to shout no. He didn't pray, did he? He arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. Now, please don't go out of here and say, Brother Cook's against prayer. No, I'm just saying Jesus did not pray. And I'm not saying Jesus didn't pray at other times. Jesus was a devout man of prayer. But his initial reaction to this storm was not to pray, but to say. There's a time to talk to God. But Jesus understood that God didn't have anything to do with the storm. So he talked to the storm. You know, like when Moses was dealing with his things. Sometimes Moses would talk to God about things, but then sometimes he'd go and say to Pharaoh, let my people go. We Believers need to know when to pray and when to say. And Jesus exercised spiritual authority. Um, he said to the storm, let me tell you another thing that Jesus didn't do. This is very important. When Jesus arose, and, and of course he, he saw the storm too, uh, he didn't deny its existence, but Jesus did not turn around to the disciples and say, all right, which one of you guys sinned? Which one of you, one of you guys, you've been using bad language again? You know, some, who's been having bad thoughts? You know, Jesus did not assume that somebody had sinned to cause this storm to occur. Jesus understood this storm came in the midst of obedience. Didn't come like Jonah. This is a totally different storm than the storm of Jonah. It didn't come because of disobedience. It came in the midst of perfect obedience. 
And Jesus rebuked the storm. He took spiritual authority by the spoken word. I think Jesus understood this storm was nothing more than a spiritual attack to keep, pe- to keep him from getting to the other side. Anybody remember what happened when Jesus got to the other side? The madman of Gadara was there. Jesus was going to set that man free. A tormented, demonized man whose life was just a great tragedy. Jesus was going to take the power of God to that man. And this storm was a a spiritual attack to keep Jesus from getting really to his destiny, to set the other man free. And another thing that Jesus didn't do when the storm does, see, we do all the things, I shouldn't say we, but, but sometimes we want to do all the things that Jesus did not do. The third thing that Jesus did not do, he did not say, wow, disciples, God must have sent this storm to teach us a lesson. So we should just we should just accept this storm as as some kind of spiritual gift from God to teach us something. Jesus didn't do any of that stuff. He didn't pray. He spoke. He didn't blame. He took authority. He didn't he didn't believe that they were to passively accept this attack as some kind of gift from God because Jesus didn't have the kind of theology that many, many religious people have today. Jesus knew the difference between the God who sends blessing and the thief who comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. So Jesus made it to the other side. So Jonah got into his storm because of what? But the disciples got into their storm in the midst of obedience and perfect obedience. Jonah got out of his storm through repentance. But the disciples got out of their storm through spiritual authority. The word of God being spoken uh, under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. So the two storms are just two totally different types of storms. One thing that's important for us to understand, do you ever go to the store and it says one size fits all? Okay, when it comes to attacks and spiritual problems and things like that, one size doesn't fit all. There's different types of storms. Let me take you real quickly to a third type of storm in the Bible, and it's in Acts chapter 27. And this one involves the Apostle Paul. Paul, at this time, I'm going to give you this really fast. Paul was a prisoner. He had been arrested in Jerusalem. I think Acts 21, maybe 22. Um, He had been arrested in Jerusalem, put in prison. You know why he was arrested for preaching the gospel. And he spent a couple, a little time in Jerusalem in prison. Then they moved him over to Caesarea uh, on the coast of Israel. Spent a couple years in prison there. Appeared before several Roman magistrates. And because it was in Israel, there was a Jewish element of the charges. And Paul knew that because of religious prejudice, he was not going to get a fair trial. So Paul was also, he was not just a Jewish man, but he was also a Roman citizen. 
And so he used his rights, his civil rights, as a Roman citizen, and he appealed his case to Caesar, which meant, as a Roman citizen, it's now the Roman authorities' responsibility to take Paul all the way from Israel to Rome. And guess what that involves? A journey by sea. They made it out as far as an island. It's a Greek island today uh, called Crete. And the, the Bible says that the weather was starting to get dicey. As a matter of fact, let's just look at Acts chapter 27, verse 9. Acts 27, verse 9, it says, Now when the time had been spent, what much time had been spent, the sailing was now dangerous because the fast was already over. Notice what Paul does. He's a prisoner, right? Paul's a prisoner. But it says, Paul advised them. Did you know that when you're a prisoner, nobody cares about your advice? But now Paul, he was a man of God, right? He was a prophet of God. So let's see what Paul advises them. Saying, men, I perceive. Well, how would Paul have perceived the Holy Spirit? I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss, not only of the ship, cargo and ship, but also our lives. Paul says, man, I perceive that if we set sail... The, the ship's going to be destroyed. We, we can die if we set sail. Now, how many of you know, because Paul was a man of God, everybody listened to him. Let's look at the next verse. Nevertheless, even though Paul said this, the centurion, he's the guy in charge, was more persuaded by the helmsman and the owner of the ship than by the things spoken by Paul. Verse 12. And because the harbor was not suitable to winter in, the majority, everybody say the majority. Now, how many of you know the majority is always right? No. The majority advised, let's set sail from here. If by any means they could, you know, make it. Well, here's what they did. Paul got overruled. The majority prevailed. And they set sail. And... You know, it looked like, man, all of a sudden the weather's beautiful, everything's great, and it stayed that way for a few hours. And the next thing you know, a, an absolutely horrible, horrible storm blows in. It was called, in the Bible, it's referred to as a storm of typhoon strength. It blew that ship like a cork. And, and, and this, the, they were in this storm for 14 days and 14 nights. They were throwing all the cargo overboard. Anybody here ever been out at sea and you got seasick? Anybody here ever done that? I, I've had that happen. A few years ago, Pastor Mark, we were sailing. We took a small boat, had a group of pastors, and we sailed from the port near Ephesus out to the island of Patmos. It was 40 miles. It was four hours. It was really rough. Most everybody on our ship was leaning over the edge. You know, it was four hours. I thought everybody, all these spiritual, I thought they were going to kill me. Because they were kind of blaming me for the deal. And um, 
so, but, but we finally made it out to the island of Patmos. Some people, it took them hours before they began to feel normal and all that. So we, we had four hours of rough sea. Paul and this group had 14 days and 14 nights. Now look at uh, verse 20, Acts chapter 27, verse 20. It says, Now when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest, no small storm beat on us, all hope that we would be saved was finally given up. And this is hopeless. People, you know, when people slip into a state of despair, that's not good. And that's what happened. But after long abstinence from food, then Paul stood in the midst of them and said, I love this, men, you should have listened to me. How do we say that in the 21st century? I told you so. Don't always want to use that in the husband-wife setting, but Paul did it here. Men, you should have listened to me. And not have sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. And now I urge you to take heart. For there will be, now isn't it, this is interesting, there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. Because for there stood by me this night an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar. And indeed, God has granted you all those who sail with you. That word granted is a key to what's been going on. When, when the angel said God has granted you all those who sail with you, Paul had been praying for them. Paul had been praying for them not to die in this situation. See, they're the ones that put Paul in the situation. I think it's amazing that Paul was had the grace to pray for the people who were responsible for his suffering. God has granted you all those who sail with you. Look at verse 25. Therefore, take heart, men, for what I believe that it shall be. Uh, I believe, God, that it will be just as it was told me. Isn't that amazing? Here's a third different type of storm. Paul got into his storm because of the disobedience of others. And you notice that the way this thing ended, I, I, I much prefer the way Jesus got out of his storm. That was immediate. How many of you have ever had an immediate answer to prayer? Let me see your hand. Man, you got prayed for, you prayed, you believed God, and something just really fast happened. But man, in Paul's case, it took 14 days and 14 nights. And, and the angel didn't show up until many days how many of you know we don't like delayed answers? We're, we're Americans. We like everything right now. Instant, immediate, instantaneous is what we like. Would you like me to tell you how to always... How many of you, if you had a choice, you would rather have a Jesus kind of immediate answer rather than a Paul, man, it takes weeks, and you say, well, that's only two weeks. Hey, that seemed like two years. 
when you're on that ship. How many of you would rather have an immediate answer like Jesus rather than a delayed answer like Paul? How many of you would rather have the immediate? How many of you would like me to tell you how to always get an immediate answer to prayer? Would you like me to tell you that? All right, I'm going to do that right after I pray for you to have a trouble-free life and to never face another problem again. Because the truth is, I can't tell you either. You know how Paul got his out of his situation? Persevering faith. He didn't see an instant kind of miraculous type thing, but yet the supernatural power of God was in it. I don't know why it took long. I would always personally rather have the immediate answer. But here's what we're sharing today. You have three different types of storms. Jonah, disobedience, got out through repentance. The disciples got into their storm in the midst. Perfect obedience. And and uh, they got out through the, the command of faith, spiritual authority. Paul got into his storm because of the disobedience of other people. And he got out just through persevering faith. Here's what I know. Jonah made it to Nineveh. Jesus made it to the other side. And Paul made it to Rome. See, the real point of this message is not the storm. It's the destination. Storms are distractions. And if Satan can get us so focused on the storm, oh, God, why did this happen to me? Feeling sorry. He'll, he'll get us to take our eyes off of our goal. What's our destiny? What's our, our destination? I will close with this statement today. Shared this one time. A lady came up afterwards. She's very appreciative. She said, you know, that message helped me and so on. But she said, what do you do if you're in all three storms at once? I had never thought about this at that time. She said, what do you do if you're in all three storms at once? She said, she said, there's one area of my life where I totally did the wrong thing. I knew it was wrong when I did it, but I wanted to do it and I did it. And she said, now I'm dealing with consequences. She said, there's another area where I determined I'm going to obey God. And she said, man, all kinds of problems have happened from that decision to obey God. And she said, there's a third area of my life where somebody close to me has made a decision and it's creating, you know, con, con, uh, problems and conflict in my life. She said, what do you do if you're in all three storms at once? And I said, ma'am, number one, my heart goes out to you. The only thing I know to tell you to do, if you're in all three storms at once, I said, you need to repent like Jonah. You need to speak the word like Jesus. And you need to persevere like Paul. And, and I said, the Bible does say many are the afflictions of the righteous and the Lord delivers him out of them all. I can't tell you when. I can't tell you. There's a lot of things I don't know, but God is faithful. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. But one size doesn't fit all. One storm doesn't fit all. My prayer today is that God's given you something to know how to help yourself and, and know how to help others because we do face junk in life. But God is good. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for your goodness and your mercy toward each and every one of us.